Hey, I'm really excited because today we're starting a new series going through the book of 2 Peter. So if you're new to Sanctuary, we're old school Bible teaching church. We unpack the scripture verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're going to be doing that this morning. The title of the message is, What Are You Becoming? How many people think that's a good question to ask? Like, what are you becoming? Uh, you don't just stay the same. What are you becoming? So we're going we're gonna to look at that this morning in 1 Peter chapter, two, chapter 1. And uh, what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask us if we're going to stand in just a moment, just a moment. And the reason I'm going to do that is because really, like, we hold, like we're looking on the screens, and I hold in my hand, like, the most powerful book in the world, like a God-breathed book, God-inspired, inerrant, always true, always relate to your life, never grows old. This is God's breathed word for us. And so uh, in honor of the scripture, we're going to open it. This is the book that could save your soul, change your life, transform you here. So we want to stand in honor of the scripture. Then we're going to read the scriptures. I'm going to read verse 1. Then you'll read verse 2. I'll read verse 3. And you'll read verse 4. Is that all right? Let's stand to your feet. So... 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says this. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And Father, I pray this morning that the same spirit that inspired the scripture would inspire our minds to be able to grasp uh, the truth, that we would be fully immersed uh, in the scriptures during this time, that we would hear the voice of God through the word of God, and that you would speak to us, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. And so this happens when Peter is about to die. Verse 14, Peter says, I'm about to go to leave this planet. So Peter then is a prisoner in Rome under the jurisdiction of Nero, crazy Nero. And so what happens here is these are his final words, his final legacy, his final letter, and the people there are really in trouble. The people he's writing, writing to are are under a widening persecution from Rome against Christians, against Christ followers. Like it's very pertinent to us this morning because we in America are going to face the same thing of a widening persecution as did Rome then. Uh, it's just a reality, that an inescapable reality. And so he begins by saying this, Simon Peter a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. So in ancient times, that's what you would do. Like today we write our names at the very end. Sincerely, Rod. Then you would always write your name in the beginning. Makes more sense when you think about it. But anyway, but, it, but Peter lived in this tension of Simon and Peter. He was born with the name Simon and Jesus gave him the name Peter, which means rock-like. And so his name of dishonor really was Simon. His name of honor was Peter. And he lived in this, uh, this tension of, who am I? And you read the scriptures, and oftentimes he's called Simon Peter. He would call himself Simon Peter. Like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Maybe you feel that way, like you come to Christ, and you have a new life of 
Peter, but then you have this old life that you struggle with and how you identify and all that. And it is Simon. And so that's what he says here, Simon Peter. And so he should be living in the reality of Peter, this dynamic leader, this rock-like personality. But the reality was is that he was brash, Simon, outspoken, big-talking, impulsive, sometimes out of control uh, type of a person. So he lived there in that tension. And so, But interestingly, when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he was no longer ever called Simon again. Then he was always known as Peter, which is insightful for us. And so Peter's about to die, and he tells us how to live. And he says this as a servant, says Simon Peter, as a servant of Jesus Christ. Some of your translations may read bond slave or slave. So what he's saying is, I am his. I belong to him. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 21, uh, it explains there that slaves, after six years, could be freed. And so what they would do is they would put themselves against the doorpost of the building, and they would put their ear out like I'm doing right now. And they would have the option to either go free, or if they loved their master so much, they would drive like a small stake through their ear. And they would do that in the Old Testament times, and New Testament actually, to mark the slaves so that the slaves, you could identify, oh, that's the slaves of uh, uh, Onesphorus, or that's the slave of Joshua, or whoever. So they would know by the markings. And so you could take a marking, a permanent marking, the blood would be, uh, would, would spill on the wood there of the doorpost, and you would permanently be marked as a willful bond slave that you were signing up for the rest of your life to follow that master. Well, in a similar sense, that's what Peter is saying. I'm signing up for the rest of my life. I'm not going to be some churchgoer. I'm going to be a nominal father. No, I'm going to be a servant I'm going to be like a slave, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Now, in that day, the, the people listening would go like, yeah, we, we know all about that. Yeah, they're yawning. Like, get to the important stuff. But for us, it's insightful to hear that he identifies himself, that this is his identity. You know, you live your life. Think about it. You live your life out of your identity. The Bible says, as a person, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So you live out of that. And that's how it was in the Old Testament, the New Testament. They identified not just as a Christ follower, but actually as a servant. So you read in the Old Testament, Moses, the great lawgiver, says the servant of God. Joshua, who was the great commander of Israel, the servant of God. David, the greatest of all kings, the servant of God. And so Isaiah 23, all the prophets were servants of God. You go to the New Testament, Jude, the servant of God. Paul the Apostle always introduced himself, Paul an apostle and a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to challenge us because the word here, doulos, slave, means to willingly submit your life to your master. That's what it's talking about here. And so think about, when I think about an illustration, I've got to tap into the, to the moms here, okay? Foster mom, adoptive mom. Uh, biological. I've got to tap in and just tell me if this isn't true. I haven't lived it, but I've observed it a few times. And that is when my wife got pregnant, I observed it was pure joy for nine months. Yeah, I know I'm joking. Come on. 
Come on, somebody. It's not pure joy. Massive fatigue, uncomfortable, pain, can't sleep. And then you move to glorious phase two, which is the labor. And I was there. And it's intense. But when that baby comes out, it's like everything changes. And the mom seems like inseparable from the baby and also becomes the servant of the baby. Am I telling the truth? Come on, somebody. I'm telling the truth. And so moms are transformed, transformed into servants. You have this new identity. Now you are, there it is, your child. You have a baby and you're a servant and you willingly, you willingly lay down your life and that baby has all of you. I've seen this. And you fully submit and you commit uh, and give up the many pleasures of life, giving up sleep and sacrificing yourself to become the servant of that baby. I tell him the truth. And so it's your new reality. That's what Peter is saying here. My new reality, becoming a Christ follower, I've had my ear pierced. I want, figuratively speaking, I want to follow Jesus Christ and be his servant. And it is his new identity, just like a mother does that. And so friends, I just got to say, this is serious stuff. Because first century, this was normal. Normal Christ following was to be a servant. Today we think like it's, it's a next level, but then it was just normal. But what it means is where all of you, all of me, all of Rod surrenders my life to the godly purpose he has for me as a Christ follower. So if someone were to say, what are you becoming? What would you say about this in this area? Are you becoming the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so then Peter goes on to say, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I get it. People think, that has nothing to do with my life. Well, I beg to differ. Because this does have something to do with your life. Because the word means one who sent forth, apostos, kletos, or a messenger. So that's really what all of us are. If you're a Christ follower, you carry a message within you. You're in the same kind of way. You are sent forth by God. And so are you, are you a messenger of Jesus Christ? What are you becoming? And then it says in verse 1, continuing, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Now we can sort of deify the, the Bible writers and all and think like they're way up there. Peter says, hey, hey, this is like we're just on equal standing. Like, well, like we're treated the same way by God. Well, we trust the same. We, are, we have obtained a faith of equal standing. And notice it says this, that those who have obtained a faith or received a like precious faith. Some of your Bibles read. So how do we get that faith? Well, it says that we've received it, we've obtained it. So what does that tell us about salvation? That salvation is what? Salvation is a gift. It's not gained by per per personal effort, personal cleverness, personal skill, uh, anything that you can work for or be worthy of, no, none of that. The Bible makes it rather clear in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you're saved through what? Through what? Faith. Through faith. And it's not, a, not, a, not by works. Like there's no working out this in your life that you would qualify that you could earn that. There's, it's not by works. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So what is a gift of God? 
Faith that saves is a gift from God. According to the scripture, the greatest thing that you can do is have faith. A true faith, friends, that transforms us. So I want to ask you, how how does that look like in your life? Are you growing in faith? Are you trusting him by faith? It's a decision of the will that you make. And then it says this, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the right, not by our own righteousness. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy he saved us. Ephesians says a similar thing, that not by righteousness, that we depend that, that uh, our sins and trespasses, but he saved us and he gave us new life. And so we are saved not by works, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So notice it says here too, by the righteousness of our God, of our God. This is declaring the deity of Christ. If you have any doubt about it, Jesus is God. He is God and Savior. He is God with skin. He is God in a human body. So our faith is obtained not by efforts or anything that we can do, but by the righteousness of our Savior, of our God, Jesus Christ. Then it says in verse 2, a common greeting uh, in that culture was, may grace and peace, keros and peace, be mul- shalom, be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So notice it says the knowledge of God. He's all about the knowledge of God, to know God. And, and think of, imagine this, in three little chapters, 15 times, he's talking about the knowledge of God. So he's emphasizing over and over and over again how important that it is that we step into and lean into and have a lifestyle as Christ followers of growing in the knowledge of God. And so I want to ask this question to you. What are you becoming? Are you becoming a person who's growing in the knowledge of God or are you flatlining? I've flatlined in my life and I like, and I like get up and give these kind of talks. So I flatlined in, in gaining and growing in knowledge. But how about you? As you sit here this morning, have you flatlined? Or are you growing in your knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to talk more about that in just a moment. Peter emphasizes this, and then he says in verse 3, here's what God has done for you. So if you're here this morning and you're, and you're not a Christ follower, you need to listen to this because here's what he's done for you and for all of us. His divine power has granted or been given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Here it is again. Those who called us to his own glory and excellence. And so it says here, his divine power. I want us to get our minds around this for a moment because living... The Christian life does not depend on your own power, not on your own energy. I don't know about you, but I've struggled with this over the years, sorting it out. And, and uh, is this, how much of this is rod and how much of this is God? And uh, like, what's my role? But I want us to see here, it says his divine power. So you don't have to crank it up on your own and make it happen. It is God's eternal power. Same God that threw the cosmos into existence. The same God that raised Jesus from the dead 
dwells in you, it says in Ephesians chapter 2. And so we don't have to rely on our own power. We rely on a power that is unlimited, a power that never runs out, a limitless power that we have total, ultimate, always access to, a power that never gets tired, a God who never is depleted. So how do you do this? It says here that he's given it to us. He's granted it to us. We don't deserve it. We're undeserving of God's dunamis, dynamite power there. And so God, this is what God is like, friends. If you're new to church, this is what God is like. God just simply gives it to you. You don't don't even deserve it. There's nothing you do to deserve it. it, And he just gives you his power. Now watch this. It says, his divine power has been granted to us for what? Like for some things, for occasional things, for God's favorite favorite thing. No, for all things. See, God is a God who doesn't hold back. God is a God that doesn't say, yeah, I'm good for... uh, I'm good for 80% and you got to pull up your bootstraps and you got to figure out the rest. That's not what God is like. God is like, God is not a God that says you're on your own. It says here, he gives us this power for all things. Life, and then he says this, all things that what? That pertain to what? To life. To living this life and godliness. So he gives you power for this life. Power of God that comes to expression on the inside of you. God doing an inside job on you where you're failing and struggling and losing, falling into old habits. God's power can come inside you and give you the power to overcome and to win. Not only that, he gives you the power pertains to life and godliness. All things pertaining to you being a godly person before him. In other words, the manifestation of, of God's work in your life that is external. And so we need both. We need God's power that would transform us. If any man be in Christ, he's what? He's a new creature because of God's power. And so I want to ask you, are you becoming, like what are you becoming? Number one, are you becoming an instrument of God? Are you becoming a, a person who knows God, growing in his knowledge. Are you a person, number three here, who is experiencing God's power and growing in the application of God's power to your life? You've been giving all things. Like there's nothing left to be given. There's no new revelation. There's no new experiences. You have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God gives you everything you need for your spiritual life. He gives you everything you need for godly living. And how do, how do we, we all do this? It says, watch. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge. Here it is again. The knowledge of him who's called us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? That you've been given all things that you need to live this life through God's power, through the knowledge of him. In other words, how many people do you see that are looking for some new revelation, some new experience, some new feeling? Peter says, hey, let's cut to the chase. And he flatly says that you have all the power for all things that you will ever need. So in Jesus, friends, in Jesus, you have all the practical answers for every problem 
every arduous situation, every tumultuous circumstance that you will ever face. You have it right now if you have Christ. And as you grow in the knowledge of Christ, you grow in the capacity to handle all of life's problems, all of life's headaches, trials, and tribulations. And so that is what God does for us. So knowing him is the most important thing. And friends, I just want to say, regardless of where you're at, you can know God. You can know him personally. I didn't grow up in church. Like I never went to church until I was 17. But I never went to church. I didn't grow up in church. I'm not like a church person. Like I didn't know anything about church, like zero. I didn't know what the Trinity was. I knew nothing. All that everybody that goes to church said that they're a bunch of weak people and they all need a crutch. And that's what I thought because that's what my dad told me. I said, Dad, why do people go to church? Because they need a crutch. Oh, okay, that's good enough for me. And so, but that's what I thought. And so, uh, so I'm telling you that since that time, as a teenager to now, by God's grace, I feel like I've, I've been able to move in the direction of knowing him. And I know that you can do the same thing. I know that you can know God. It's not some like casual, superficial sort of, yeah, God's out there. It's not, it's not knowing about him. It's not knowing facts about Bible trivia. No, no, no. It's like Paul said in Philippians 3, after he gives his big pedigree, after all the things that he'd done, he said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrew. He said, it's concerning the law. I was a Pharisee. In other words, I was like a superstar. And then he said, but all those things that I thought were awesome, he said, I realized they're a bunch of, of just, of just um, it's, it's, a, it's a bad word to say. So I realized it was that. I said, he said, that I might know him. I might know him intimately. And that's what it's talking about, that you can know God. And that's the answer. And so knowing God's the most important thing. You are created, friends. You're created to know God. You're created to walk with God. How awesome is that? So um, are you becoming a person who knows God? Or are you just content going to church? Are you content just naming the name of Christ? What, 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 what are you becoming? Well, let's look at verse 4. The God of the Bible says this. I have given you great and exceedingly great and precious promises by which he has granted unto us precious and very great promises that through them you might be partakers of the divine nature. And so are you becoming a person who builds your life on the promises of God? The exceedingly great and precious. It means in the original language, magnificent. It means majestic. It means unlike any other promises there are. Think about it. Where else do you hear of such promises that we're going to talk about in a moment? What religions of the world declare to you such exceedingly great and prominent? Do you find them in Hinduism or Buddhism or whatever it is? You don't find them only in Christ following. And so it's, uh, these are not just some glowing words. These are words of, of unequaled value. And so Paul or, or Peter now is going to talk about this. He says, look, there's nothing like them. They are unequaled in all of the earth. They are magnificent. You want to latch and, and attach yourself and lean into these great promises because God is a God who is a promise keeper. So what are the promises then? The great, exceedingly great and precious promises. Well, how about your salvation? 
God promises you that. How about your deliverance? How about that God is like just God will help you? As in he is of ever-present help in times of trouble. How about that God will give you wisdom if anyone lacks wisdom? He just needs to ask God and God will give you wisdom and God won't withhold the wisdom. What a promise you have when you don't know what to do and you can ask God for wisdom. What about when you're facing daunting circumstances and you you think there's no way? Ephesians 3.20, and now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or even think. God can do more than that. What a promise that is. What about the promise of God's faithfulness? The promise that he'll give you the Holy Spirit. He said, I will send you a paraclete, a helper that will come alongside you and help you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit, his power. God will give you joy. Maybe you're here today and you're depressed. You struggle with depression. So I'll give you joy. I'll give you guidance. I will lead you and I will guide you. What a great promise. Eternal rewards in heaven. What a great promise, James 1.12, that you'll be rewarded for the life that you live. So all of these friends are staggering. These are staggering promises. And then notice, notice this. Don't drop out on me. Notice this. The effect of these promises, watch, that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature. That through them, this is going somewhere, this is going somewhere, that you partake of God's life in you. My next question is this. What kind of, like, who are you becoming? What are you becoming? Are you becoming a child of God? Are you becoming his instrument? Are you experiencing his power? Are you leaning into his promises? Are you becoming his child? You see, we partake of, the, uh, of God's life. Well, how, well, how's that? What does that look like? Well, Colossians says that Christ is in you. Christ is in you. That means his nature is in you, the hope of glory. Romans 8, 9 says that the spirit of the living God, it dwells in you. Well, the spirit of God dwells in me. Then you possess his nature. Galatians 2, 20. Christ lives in me. And so you have his nature. So are you becoming a child of God? And then he says that you may escape from the corruption that is in the world. Does that sound good to anybody? That you might escape the corruption, the decay, the darkness, uh, the slow disintegration. You can escape all that by leaning into him. So, so much corruption out there that pollutes and destroys and defiles and is only intensifying uh, in our culture. So you're a new creation. You have the very life of God inside you. And then he says in verse 5, you enjoying this, by the way? Is this good? You like this? I hope you're not bored. Are you? Are you bored? Are you bored driving church? Are you bored? No honks or you can leave. So uh, just joking. He says this, for this reason, watch. Well, for what reason? Because of all that Christ has done for you. For this reason, watch. What do you do? do? Make every effort to what? To add to your faith. Add to your faith what? We're going to talk about it in just a moment. For this very reason, because of all that Christ has done, make every effort. Well, what is that saying? It's saying that, hey, you need to give 100% of yourself to this. Saying that, look, 
Spiritual growth just doesn't happen. Spiritual growth requires effort. There it is in your Bible. Make every effort. Effort must be invested. Yes, you have the power of God, but you meet the power of God by investing your own energy there. Make every effort. It means this. It means to have zeal. It means to come alongside what God has done with sort of an eagerness and a, and a, and a, and a hurriedness that you just want to get on with what God wants to do. It means to give yourself fully to God. It means to give a big effort to grow spiritually. So he says, continue to add to your faith. Add what? Well, add virtue, add knowledge. Verse 6, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Hi, I want to ask you this question. What are you becoming? This is like the DNA. This is like the great eight that God has for your life, the spiritual DNA that he wants to come to expression in your life. This is it right here. And he says, make, it, make maximum effort to live for God. Make maximum effort to be close to Jesus. What are we becoming here? He says, well, you want to continue to grow. You want to continue to grow godly, to know God. But here's eight ways, eight ways of what God wants you to be. Anybody want to hear the eight ways? So he says this, number one, to become a person of faith. Are you, become, are you growing as a person of faith? This is the foundation. We talked about saving faith in Christ, trusting God. It's where it all begins is right here. And so everything else flows from this. So what are you to add to your faith? He says, number one, virtue. Now, sometimes we hear that and we think, oh, virtue. Like, it means to be nice, and it means to be smile big and to be polite. And that's not what it's talking about at all. Nothing to do with what it's talking about. This speaks of a tenacity, a tenacity where you stand in the face of opposition. Think of that. It's a tenacity that uh, the time will come as a Christ follower where you're going to need moral courage and to stand and have tenacity. I'm telling you, friends, the direction of our nation, we are going to need this. There is the de-Christianizing of America, and they're going to come after you. Uh, like it or not, it's going to happen. There is going to be persecution of Christ followers. So he says, look, you're going to need tenacity. You're going to need some moral courage. You need some guts. You're going to be able to stand. You need to be able to stand in the face of opposition. First of all, you've got to have this. And it doesn't happen. Virtue doesn't happen in a vacuum. It is, it is a virtue that's demonstrated and comes to expression in life. And then he says, knowledge. Well, you've been talking a lot about that, Peter. But he's talking about a hands-on knowledge. He's talking about an experiential knowledge. He's talking about a knowledge that it's, you experience, you're, you're experiencing uh, the knowledge of God. It's more than facts and more than just uh, uh, cerebral knowing. It's growth, yes, in the knowledge of God, a practical understanding of the Christian faith. So are you adding, are you adding to your faith the knowledge of God? Or are you flatlined, friends? Some of you here, the honest is you flatlined. Let's be honest with yourself. You flatlined. Well, you need to leave here and say, okay, you know, I'm going to pray about this. And I want to add them from, I'm going to leave here. I'm going to start reading the Bible. And uh, I'm going to start growing in the knowledge of God. Number four, 
don't know if anybody in the house needs this one, needs to add this to your faith. Maybe there's one person, maybe the speaker this morning, yes, the speaker needs to add this to his faith, self-control. Ha, huh. self-control. Why do we need to add to our faith self-control? Well, maybe to resist sin, maybe to have a little self-restraint. And the, the Greeks knew exactly, if in Greek language you would know what this is talking about, it meant to describe anyone who was struggling with lust. It means to control areas of lust, which you're just wanting to tear your head off and come to expression and destroy you. And so Peter says to add to your faith self-control. Anybody in the house, in the tent, cars drive in, online need to add self-control? I need to add self-control to my life. I do. I, I have a certain level of discipline and self-control, but, but I need to add this. And so then he goes on and says, add to your faith steadfastness. It means endurance to endure temptation. It means to endure and, and even doing what is the right thing to do. So how many people need to add to your faith? It means not to give up too quick, not to, to bail, to, uh, to, to quit, uh, to give up because you're being tempted, to give up because you're being in a trial, to give up because you're facing some difficulty uh, or facing sin. is give up. No, it says to be steadfast there, to persevere, not to just give in. How many people need to grow in that? Come on, somebody. And I love the next one. Who needs to grow in this? And add to your faith godliness. Add to your faith godliness. It doesn't say just add to your faith church goingness, but add to your faith going to church is awesome and good, but it doesn't say that. It says add to your faith godliness. In other words, living a godly life. In other words, a practical awareness of God in like every area of your life. Just aware. Like David was like this. David lived in this reality. David said in Psalm 16, he said, the Lord, he said, is always before me. I see him high and lifted up. It's to live that way. It's living like with a worshipful heart. It's like living with, with a reverence heart and, and adoring God. And so then he says the next thing, he says, and add to your faith brotherly affection. How often overlooked is that? Brotherly affection. Like it's phileo, speaks of friendship. Now think of that. How often do we, how often do we, we overlook, like we think like, yeah, that was all the like the varsity things, like yeah, godly and knowing God and all. And yeah, friendship is like, yeah, it's kind of like junior varsity, but okay, whatever. But it, this is varsity like all the other ones. And I think some people, they need to add to their faith, they add to, need to add to their faith, phileo, friendliness, okay? That even speaks, come on, friends. You go to church sometimes, some people that, they're like, they go to church like, hey, dude, you need to like add to your faith like some brotherly affection because you're like not even friendly. You know what I'm talking about? Like if, I, if somebody didn't tell me you like me, I would think you didn't even like me. Come on. Am I telling the truth? Am I telling the truth? You know what I'm talking about? There are people here you need like you hear. Like there it is. It's God's word to you. You need to add brotherly affection to your life. And so it's not that hard. It's not that hard. And so it speaks, though, it speaks of a little bit of a mutual kind of sacrificing for one another. And then he says this, lastly, add to your faith love. Add to your faith agape, oh, add to your faith love, something all people that are Christ followers have experienced, having experienced the love of God, 
We dispense, we become dispensers of the love of God. The Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad or poured out in your heart, not by you, but by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. So see, you could do that. You can be a loving person. And so, uh, so these are the great eight. The great thing, great eight great things we want to build into our lives. So friends, I just close with this. Like, what are you becoming? And what do you want to become? And here, here is what we just talked about. Here's a picture of what God wants us to become. Like, if you ever wonder, like, what's God's will? There it is right there. Just go through the list. And so we'll continue next week in 1 Peter chapter 1, picking it up in the next verse. And bring your friends. Isn't Peter good? I mean, it's just good. This is good. I just pray like, Lord, just help me not to mess it up. It's so good. Just, I just don't want to mess it up, all right? So uh, I hope I didn't mess it up. So if you could bow your heads, and I just want to pray, close the time of prayer, and the worship team is going to come up, and uh, we're going to close. And so, Father, um, I pray that by your grace that what we've heard this morning could come to expression in our lives. Father, I pray that there those of us here that we need to add to our faith love or add to our faith brotherly affection or add to our faith godliness or add to our faith knowledge or add to our faith self-control or steadfastness or virtue, that tenacity to stand in the face of opposition. Father, I pray that you would stir our hearts and you, Holy Spirit, would make it real what we need to add to our faith. And Father, I pray that we would experience the power of God in our lives. We wouldn't lean to our own power, but we'd look to you. I pray that we would grow in the experience of being a, a child of the living God and walking with you. I pray that we would grow in Christ. So, Father, we say, have your way with us. May we be like Peter, who said, Peter, a servant of Jesus Christ. May we be servants of you. May you pierce our ears, figuratively speaking, and may we choose to willingly submit like a mother to her child. Submit to you. We pray, Father, you do this and you do more. In Jesus' name, amen.